Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Phil Craft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today we got Raul. He's in part two of this episode of the Tactical Review Podcast. Hello, Raul. Hey, Mike. Uh, so first, I want to kick it off and let you guys know that we are a sponsored podcast. We are sponsored by Janelle Law Firm, all active or retired military, where you did not diagnose with tinnitus or hearing loss after using 3M's dual-ended earplugs. I was... I have tinnitus and hearing loss, so if you're like me, you're on this list. These earplugs were yellow and black or yellow and olive. They were often called Christmas lights. Instead of protecting your hearing, they actually uh, permanently damaged your ears. They permitted damaging sounds to get through because they were faulty. If you're issued these earplugs while in service and then diagnosed with tinnitus or hearing loss, then call 1-800-560-0038. Because you may qualify for significant cash compensation. I have literally done this. I have literally done this because I am service-connected and have disability. You do do too, right? I do, yeah. So if you have tinnitus or hearing loss, call 1-800-560-0038 because you may qualify. Again, if you serve in the military, were issued 3M dual-ended yellow and dark earplugs and were later diagnosed with hearing loss or tinnitus, then call the number. 3M knew with the defects but failed to warn anyone about them. A whistleblower lawsuit that 3M quietly settled made the case that 3M manipulated test results to make it appear as the as if the plugs met government standards, but they didn't. So if you were in the military any time between 2003 and 2015, which is literally all the time that I was in, and are now suffering from diagnosed hearing loss or tinnitus, then please call 1-800-560-0038. Right now, this lawsuit is against 3M and not the government or military, so your benefits with the VA will not be effective. Again, one last time. Here's the phone number one last time. 1-800-560-0038. Thanks, guys. Yeah, hey, this is the Tactical Review Podcast. This uh, podcast is also sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee Company, the best coffee on the planet, Black Rifle Coffee, Philcraft 20, Philcraft 20, Saves you 20% on checkout. I do the black Chinook because I like black coffee, no sugar, no cream. And I also appreciate that Black Rifle Coffee does a whole bunch for nonprofits, uh, in, including veteran advocacy um, projects. Uh, they just supported the Best Ranger competition. They're all over social media and the news for, for doing good stuff. Uh, love their coffee, love their company. Make sure you check out blackriflecoffee.com and use Philcraft20 to save 20%. We just got our new resupply of the new Blood Orange. I don't know if it's new, but I haven't tried this one. Uh, Killcliff.com. We're sponsored by Killcliff.com. They are strategic partners with the Navy SEAL Foundation. Just saw our good buddy Remy. Um, He was out, and I think there was some harbor, some bay, where all these Navy SEALs with their shirts off looking all studly. And I was was like, damn, man, I need to get back in the gym. (laughs) Uh, We're doing stuff uh, for the Navy SEAL Foundation as well as – uh, for veteran advocacy, uh, which they do really good at. But Killcliff makes awesome energy drinks. I know you've been using them to kick off uh, and fuel your uh, 
your train up for your fight, right? Yeah. So there's a reason why you haven't tried that uh, blood orange one. <laughs> oh, George and I <laughs> stealing all the. We we drink them, uh, and, and by the time you get there, there's only the other flavors left. So, I know so, this is my first one. So it's now like, you know, <laughs> it's the last one too. But if you're on that keto uh, kick, no sugar, 15 calories, B vitamins, and electrolytes. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, the, my I like the recovery because it's like post workout and. It doesn't have a crap ton of caffeine in it, so you don't have to worry about like wigging out all yeah. day and feeling like crap. Uh, but killcliff.com, you could use survival15 to save 15% on checkout. Check out at killcliff.com. Uh, also, this podcast is sponsored by triarchsystems.com. Look, Triarch Systems make the best custom pistols, carbines, and rifles on the planet. We run them as tactical training tools and everyday carry pistols and carbines, and they work flawlessly. If we had a gun in our hands that didn't operate, uh, you'd be the first to know about it. And that's what we take serious is the utility and function and reliability of uh, firearms, especially for for protecting yourself and your family. TreyarchSystems.com, if you use the coupon code PhilCraft, one word, you could say 5% on a build or anything on TreyarchSystems.com. That's T-R-I-A-R-C Systems. Dot com. Thanks, Triarch Systems, for supporting Philcraft Survival. Um, so, hey, we're doing the Tactical Review Podcast. This part one is going to be uh, me running my suck about my opinion on kind of the things that happened. And then part two, we're going to be talking to Raul Martinez, a experienced law enforcement officer, soon-to-be professional fighter, who has a lot of experience in this field of expertise and get his take on a few things. So, yeah, let's kick it off. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Philcraft Survival Podcast. This is a, another episode of the Tactical Review Podcast, where we take the latest tactics, techniques, and procedures as applied to real situations in the real world and assess, obviously, um, lessons learned and things to take away. You know, tactics are always changing. They're always being shaped by reality. And if you're not prepared to shape your tactics, encountering uh, those potential tactics, then you're not prepared. And uh, preparedness is freedom, as we always say. So, hey, yeah, if you guys are just uh, tuning into the news, uh, some people, you know, I was surprised. Some people this morning uh, texted me and didn't even realize that there was these tragic events that took place in Texas, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. You know, a lot of people like me and my little circle of friends, um, you know, they, they like to get off grid and get away from the news, get away from their phones. And so a lot of people were shocked, obviously, when they got back to their phones and the headlines read that there was two mass shootings that happened in less than a 24-hour period where there was uh, 31 people killed total. Now, the death toll has rose uh, in the Texas shooting. It's now 21. Unfortunately, one person died uh, in the hospital recently. So that death toll is up to 21 with 20 plus people injured. Uh, also the Ohio shooting, we know right now that the death toll is at nine with, uh, multiple injuries. Uh, I believe right now the injuries are sitting at, um, at 20 people, uh, 20 plus people injured in that shooting as well. And so when, when we look at these two shootings, one, it's a tragedy. It's unfortunate. You know, a lot of people, um, when they tune into the news and they see something happening in America where one person can go into a situation and senselessly murder in a public setting a whole bunch of innocent people, that's shocking. Um, 
a lot of politicians, a lot of people even on social media have come out and said, oh, this shouldn't be shocking because I think, I think even Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson um, came out, who's a uh, known scientist, came out and said, hey, you know, you guys are paying attention to, you need to pay attention to the data, uh, not to the, the headlines. Uh, but I kind of di- disagree with that sentiment because, you know, when somebody has the um, ability to go into a setting like a, uh, you know, a public place where you're supposed to be safe, you know, we're not talking about crime in the inner city. I think he made the the example that, you know, 500 a day or something like that die from the flu. Um, we're not talking about, you know, diseases. We're not talking about viruses. We're talking about a human being going into a safe setting, a public setting, and then murdering as many people as they can until they're taken down or until they surrender. So let's talk about the Texas shooting uh, first. You know, El Paso, Texas, um, this is becoming, uh, you know, headlines for all the the news uh, agencies across. But in El Paso, Texas, a lone gunman released the manifesto, basically a confession letter of why he did what he did or, uh, you know, the the purpose, the task and and purpose behind um, what he was doing, and it was what I what I found was was pretty uh, interesting about his manifesto is the amount of detail that he included inside of this four page manifesto, and then after he released it, I believe he tweeted it. Um, he he went to Walmart and decided to to do this attack. Um, here's some things that we know about this this shooting. One, this shooter was armed with an AK forty seven. Um, he walked into a Walmart, which was adjacent to a shopping center, a shopping mall. He went in there and started firing and, and killing as many people as he could. He actually started in the parking lot, walked inside of the building, and then started taking out as many people as he could. He winded up killing a total of 21 people. Um, there was a, a lot of victims, a lot of injuries. Um, 26 people were total, uh, total wounded. Um, he's a 20, 21 year old white male from a Dallas suburb, suburb, uh, after he, he circulated this online manifesto, uh, which, which is noted right now, obviously in the media, uh, for his hatred for the Hispanic people, which was completely racist. I read it, uh, probably an hour after the shooting itself. I saw it and I found it and I read it and immediately knew this guy was, uh, insane. And then as he walks in, he starts killing as many people as he, his, as he could. Police officers were on scene within six minutes. So from the time that that first shot was fired and it was reported via uh, 911, police were on the scene six minutes later. And within six minutes, uh, the, the, the gunman's rampage ended with him giving up, him basically putting down his firearm and giving up. It's known right now that he was using an AK-47, a semi-automatic uh, rifle. I uh, don't know much about the the place in which he purchased this rifle, but it was an AK-47. And it was also noted that uh, he was using extended magazines uh, in this situation. We, just like we talked about the week prior in the tactical review, where an SKS was utilized, 
this is a semi-automatic 7.62 by 39 millimeter uh, semi-automatic rifle. It is known as being an assault rifle. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what denotes or what differentiates a rifle from an assault rifle, and I, I, I would think that it's pretty speculative, um, not based on a lot of information or education. If you take an AK-47 or SKS, which was used uh, by the Russians, by the Chinese, by the Vietnamese in the Vietnam War against Americans, it was probably considered uh, a semi-automatic rifle, right? Which all rifles are semi-automatic for for the most part that have gas operating systems, meaning every time you pull the trigger, a bullet goes boom, as opposed to holding the trigger and it shoots on automatic. So these rifles are rifles, semi-automatic rifles, as opposed to a bolt gun rifle where you would you would action uh, the bolt and you would ride it ride it back to the rear, extracting the round and then inserting a round manually. Um, a semi-automatic would automatically, based on the the gas operating system, whether it's gas tappet or gas impingement, um, you know, or or uh, a gas piston, would drive the mechanics of the gun and then cycle the gun every time it's shot, which would obviously increase your ability between shot to shot to shoot faster. And so this guy goes in and he's got this manifesto that he writes, and I'm going to read some of that for you guys. And and one of the reasons, you know, a lot of critics come out and they say, hey, never talk about the shooter, never mention the shooter, never show their face, and then never talk about what their motives were. I think that's insanity. I think that, number one, I think that's stupidity, and that's that's the same mindset that puts us in these type of situations where you know, these politicians, which I'll talk about in a little later on the podcast, all these people had these knee-jerk reactions, these political um, actions, e- even President Trump this morning, um, saying all these things very reactively, and we don't want to face the reality of what is actually happening. So when people say, hey, don't, don't show the shooter's name, well, why the fuck would you not show the shooter's name? I want to know who the shooter is, because I want to know on open in media, right? And I want to I want to show as many people who that person is because I want to know his associates. I want to know his affiliates. I want to know the people that were around that person right before they shot shot the person or know them historically because they grew up with them, what kind of person they are. Because a better understanding of who these people are will get us to a point in which we can make better decisions to prevent things like this from happening in the future. I also want to know his name because I want I want responsibility and onus by the family, by the friends, by the people who could have prevented this because they were in the circle and then took it as a joke, which I think is one of the main issues that we deal with in mental health where we never take anything seriously and then after shit hits the fan, we always go, yeah, I always thought that guy was off, but you never said or did anything about it. I also wanted to know their motivations because I want to know, you know, this isn't just a special operations, you know, counter argument for counterintelligence or uh, understanding the enemy, but I want to know what this guy's motivations were to prevent it in the future. Just it's common sense. You know, if there's an ideology that's somehow underground right now 
that's breeding these kids to grow up to play video games where they shoot people virtually in the face, and then they become programmed, uh, dis disassociative from their reality, can take a gun and then go walk in a Walmart and kill people. I want to know why the hell they're doing it and what their motivations are. So let me skim through this uh, this uh, manifesto and talk about some of the things that he that stand out to me. One, he calls this thing the inconvenient truth. And he says, about me, in general, I support the Christchurch shooter and his manifesto. This attack is a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. They are the instigators, not me. I am simply defending my country from cultural and ethnic replacement brought on by an invasion. You know, obviously, him saying just that, the guy's racist. He's a Nash, he's he's a white, what would be what would be considered a white nationalist by the left. And he's obviously um living in a fantasy world. Some people, this is back to the manifesto, some people would think this statement is hypocritical because of the nearly complete ethnic and cultural destruction brought to the Native Americans by our European ancestors. But this just reinforces my point. The natives didn't take the invasion of Europeans seriously, and now that's and now what's left is a shadow of what was. My motives for this attack are not at all personal. Actually, the Hispanic community was not my target before I read The Great Replacement. This manifesto will cover the political and economic reasons behind the attack, my gear, my expectations of what response will generate, and my personal motivations and thoughts. Now, here's what you have to understand about a manifesto. It's just like anything. It's like your 200 words on your Instagram post that you write every morning. Everything you're writing is a deliberate act in influencing or manipulating your audience. I mean, you wouldn't write what you write unless you wanted to have an influence. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a bad thing, but you're manipulating people's behavior and minds and thoughts about you. And so understand that when I read this manifesto, he is shaping the picture that he wants you to perceive. And that's important to understand. A lot of people, which I'm assuming one of the reasons this kid become, became who he became is because of the way he thought about things, where he heard things and took them literally instead of understanding that things are more complex or complicated than just the black and white reasoning of things. The first thing he talks about is his political reasons. He says, in short, America is rotting from the inside out, and peaceful means to stop and peaceful means to stop this seem to be nearly impossible. The inconvenient truth is that our leaders, both Democratic and Republican, have been failing us for decades. They are either complacent or involved in one of the biggest betrayals of the American public in our history, the takeover of the US government by unchecked corporations. I could write a 10-page essay on the damage these corporations have caused. But here, here is what is important. Due to the death of the baby boomers, the increasingly anti-immigrant... I'm not even going to read this, this portion of it, because I want to extract the information that's going to be important for us countering this. And he does a lot of talk about things that he has no idea about. Policy. He has no idea about policy. You know where he gets his information on policy? The far right and the far left. There's nobody in between. And so when he reads this, 
that's where he's extracting these ideas, and a lot of it isn't tailored in reality. It's just disconnected from reality, so it's not real. He says the heavy Hispanic population in Texas will make us a Democratic stronghold. Losing Texas and a few other states with heavy Hispanic populations to to the Democratic uh, to the Democrats is all it would take for them to win nearly every presidential election. Now, obviously, what he doesn't understand is Texas, California, has always been heavy with Hispanics. One, because it used to be Mexico. Two, is that we established borders, but that didn't mean the demographic changed. Uh, The borders just created a line in the sand, but it's always been a heavily Hispanic community. I mean, he would, that, that's, this twisted white mind is some sense that Texas is white. Texas isn't white. I lived in San Antonio, Texas. I had a Special Forces Reserve Detachment, National Guard Detachment, and 19 Special Forces Group in San Antonio. And the diversity of Hispanics in that community, um, all over Texas, is vast. And so, uh, you know, he's talking about it as if Texas was white or is white. And now, you know, I would, I would, I would say that living outside of Dallas, Texas, in the corporate concrete suburbs, um, yeah, you might get that picture every single day in your day-to-day life. But the reality is that's not what it is. It's a heavy Hispanic community. It used to be Mexico. Okay, Economic reasons. In short, immigration can only be detrimental detrimental to the future of America. And see, this is the problem I have with racist bigots like this, is this idea that America is this one thing. I served in the military and was proud to operate with black guys, with white dudes, with Hispanics and Asians, because that was a good sign of our diverse population in America, because America isn't just a white place. And that's why I hate that he's fueling these left actors, these left-wing extremists, fueling them with ammo because they're like, see, I told you so. But I don't even know what white is. What is white? I'm half white, I think. You know, being half Norwegian or Scandinavian and then half Korean, what the fuck am I? I'm, I'm not a white dude. I I grew up in a black neighborhood in Daytona Beach, Florida, on the black side of the tracks, where my white grandma lived in a black neighborhood, where I, as an Asian kid, played basketball on the basketball courts, and they called me Wonder Bread because they thought I was a white kid with Asian eyes. And so when you look at America, it's diverse, but this kid doesn't see it that way. So America needs to be this one thing. And I'm assuming based on his rhetoric, it's this one white thing, which is the complete opposite of what it is. It's what makes us great is the fact that we are diverse and we come from all over the world. I just don't like labels. Don't call me white because I'm not white. Is the white dude walking down the street that you say he's a white nationalist and he's actually Russian or he's actually European? Is he white? What is white? I think this, this rhetoric of dividing us, which is both faults on the left and right, and from this idiot, is that 
Um, that's not how it should be thought of. But uh, obviously, this kid does think that way. I'm going to bypass the economic reasons and get to the gear. So he said his main gun was an AK-47, a WASR-10. He realized, he says, I realized pretty quickly that it isn't a great choice since it's a civilian version of the AK. It's not designed to shoot rounds quickly, so it overheats massively after about 100 shots fired in quick succession. Well, yeah. Yeah, you dumbass. Any gun that you shoot in quick succession will overheat massively, especially if you shoot 100 rounds of 760 by 39. He said, I'll have to use a heat-resistant glove to get around this. 8M3 bullet. This bullet, unlike pretty much any other 762 by 39 actually fragments like a pistol hollow point when shot out of an AK-47 at the cost of penetration. Penetration is still reasonable, but not nearly as high as a normal AK-47. The AK-47 is definitely a bad choice without this, this, this bullet design and may still be with it. Other guns, AR-15. Pretty much any variation of this gun doesn't heat up nearly as fast as the AK-47. The round of this gun isn't designed to fragment, but instead tumbles inside a target causing lethal wounding. This gun is probably better, but I wanted to explore different options. The AR-15 is probably the best gun for military applications, but this isn't a military application. Interesting. You know, what I take from that is, one, he thinks he knows a lot about tactics, guns, and he knows absolutely nothing. I'm not even going to... Uh, tell you the right to his wrong in this instance. What I will say is that you have to understand the mind, right, of this of these kind of people who are, who do this kind of shit. Which is this guy has an idea because he's in forums, he's on the internet, he's doing research and he's trying to figure shit out, and then he's putting stuff together. And so now if I'm thinking from the outside looking in, I'm going I'm saying to myself, the AR15, he just said that it's it's the probably the best gun but for military applications, but this isn't a military application. The AK47 is the gun of choice. He did kill this many people. This gun is the danger to society. And then the list goes on about all the rants that I can go in about um why that mindset or that, th- that path of thinking is the wrong path to thinking. He says, this will be a test of which is more lethal, either it's fragmentation or tumbling. He obviously knows nothing about external ballistics or terminal ballistics. I didn't sponge, spend much time at all prepping for this attack, maybe a month, probably less. I have to do this before I lose my nerve. I figured that an underprepared attack and a manifesto is better than no attack and no manifesto. So what you have to understand about this is it creates a timeline for us. How many people, I mean, just think about this. How many people do you think deliberately plan murdering as many people as they can in a mass shooting but never execute? Think about that. How many people are stopped in their tracks by the FBI, by local law enforcement, by friends and family? And they don't get to the point in which they kill people. I mean, really think about that. Think about what it takes to combat this kind of deliberate timeline. We used to say in special operations, the easiest job on the planet is being a terrorist. Because you wake up in the morning and you go, you know, 
maybe I don't feel like going to work today. I'm not going to attack anybody. I'm just going to hang out, drink coffee, and just do my thing. But maybe tomorrow I will. And so everybody is forced to react based on your timeline. But it's only when you execute, only when you act, can we, re- can we react. Because we can't assume. We can't assume, which is one of the problems I'll talk about later on the podcast, we can't assume that everybody, because they're going through mental health issues, is going to pick up a gun and go murder people. There are other, there are other more pointed and obvious ways to delineate between the two. A manifesto. If a guy writes a manifesto and publishes it on the internet and hasn't carried it out, the dude needs to be in jail, in prison. But will that prevent it? Think about all the variables that we're talking about. There are so many variables, it will blow and boggle your mind. And I've gone after terrorists and tracked terrorists for years Sometimes unsuccessfully because we're tracking every single thing they're doing, waiting for them to make a mistake, and they never make a mistake. So imagine now looking into an insurgency because this, this is what it is. We're looking for our own who are wearing clothes disguised like us but ready to pick up a gun and go in and do as much damage as they possibly can. He deliberately planned this for a month in advance. What were the indicators that he was planning something like this? Did he go to the range? Did he buy specific guns? Was he asking questions? I'm sure all three of those are true. He wrote him a manifesto. And he says, I have to do this before I lose my nerve. Meaning, he thought about not doing it. But eventually, he executed it. Let's go to personal reasons and thoughts via this manifesto. Um, I'm going to get past all this racism. My, my ideology has not changed for several years. My opinions on automation, immigration, and the rest predate Trump and his campaign for president. I, I'm putting this here because some people will blame the president or certain presidential candidates for the attack. This is not the case. I know that the media will probably call me a white supremacist anyway and blames Trump's rhetoric. The media is infamous for fake news. The reaction to this attack will likely just confirm that. Many people think that the fight for America is already lost. They couldn't be more wrong. This is just the beginning of the fight for America in Europe. I am honored to head the fight to reclaim my country from destruction. Remember, it's not cowardly to pick low-hanging fruit, a.k.a. Don't attack heavily guarded areas to fulfill your super soldier Call of Duty fantasy. Attack low security targets, even though you might might outgun a security guard or policeman, they likely beat you in armor, training, and numbers. Do not throw away your life on an unnecessarily dangerous target. If a target seems too hot, live to fight another day. So this guy is giving instructions. This is important to know, to understand. He is mass distributing instructions to people to hit soft targets. And he's saying that despite how the media will twist it, he's not a racist. And he morally justifies this, virtuously justifies this by reclaiming his country from destruction. Because, you know, it's interesting because I know 
all the men and women that I've served with in 20 years of government and special operations work, that those guys and gals were the most significant patriots in the world, in the U.S., that have sacrificed everything, their limbs, their lives, uh, their family lives, their time, blood, sweat, and tears, every single thing they could to fight for their country, being patriotic, reclaiming their country, and fighting for freedom. But this guy goes to a Walmart and kills innocent fathers, mothers, and children and justifies his destruction because he's reclaiming his country. I'm sorry, but this country is not your country. And that's not what we stand for. In fact, I, you know, I can go on a history lesson for hours communicating that, but it would probably for him fall on deaf ears. What's to note tactically is the fact that people who do things like this don't go after hard targets. We talked about this in the last shooting in California. When the guy goes to a garlic food festival in Gilroy, California, and he sees that there's security checking everybody's bag in a centralized controlled checkpoint, then he knows everybody in that venue is a potential target, a soft target. So if you think about this, mass shooters or active shooters who target schools, they do so because it's a soft target, because children can't fight back. Most schools don't have armed officers. And so it's an opportunity for some loser to go in and create as much carnage as possible to destroy as many human lives as possible until they're taken out. And that now it's a game of time because this guy knew inside this uh, manifesto, he actually stated that he knew more than likely he was going to be killed by a police officer, but he gave up. So he knew that he only had a short span of time to create as many casualties as possible. But the only thing that politicians in this case would focus on is the gun because the gun is the thing that did bad, not the person. These type of people do not think that way. If you're a terrorist, if you're a criminal, if you're a violent actor, what you want to do is capitalize and exploit weakness. You're not looking at strengths. You don't go in there and go, hey, there's five armed guys in front of this store. This is the one I'm going to go. You go next door and you go, oh, this is the one that says no guns allowed. And then there's no security guards because they live in that fantasy world and that person walks in the front door and kills as many people as he can. And then the politicians who affect policy shaping the laws in our country only want to concentrate on the gun. When that person, this idiot, Instead of using an AR-15 if he couldn't have got one, instead of using an AK-47 because he couldn't have got one, instead of using a firearm because he was limited in his ability to get one, he would have used his car and mowed down as many people as he could. 19 terrorists on 9-11, 19 terrorists with creative minds and box cutters killed over 3,000 Americans. 
think about that. The, the, the only closest thing was on Pearl Harbor when you had an entire task force, a strategic plan of suicide attackers attacking the, the bay of Pearl Harbor. So you have to ask yourself, what can we do? And we'll get to that as soon as I get over, the, uh, uh, over into the Ohio shooting. This one surprised me. Look, I'm not, this isn't surprising to me. Um, if you've operated overseas in Pakistan and Afghanistan and Yemen, all over the, all over the place, in, the, in these places that exist outside of the United States that aren't often talked about, this is an everyday occurrence. It's just different. It's a different agenda. There's different incentives and different motivations, but it happens every single day. So this guy, this kid, goes in with his sister and a friend, and they go out in the middle of the night and go to this place in Dayton, Ohio, where there's bars and, there's, and there are restaurants and there's clubs. And this guy, um, this young man, is with his younger sister. Or, yeah, this one, this one is actually, uh, I can't tell if it's older or younger, but his sister. So this sister is brought with the friend. They all get out of the vehicle together. Then at some point, he goes back to his vehicle, and then he gets a gun, and then he goes on this murder rampage. And the question today on social media and the news is, did he mean to target his sister during the shooting spree? That's the kind of people these dudes are. This person arrived with his sister and the friend. They get out. They go and separate. He goes back to the vehicle, gets a gun, an AR-15 and a shotgun, goes on this murder rampage and kills his own 22-year-old sister and shoots and injures the friend. They're looking for a motive, but they can't find one. I mean, they, they even state it seems to ju just defy believability. He would shoot his own sister, but it's hard to believe that he did not recognize that was his sister. Really? Does it defy believability? The dude just murdered nine human beings. Six of the nine slain in this case were African-American, but they don't know if race was a motivating factor. The police explain we have a lot of evidence still to go through. Just based on where we're at now, we are not seeing any indication of race being a motive, but we are not through all the evidence. And so until we are through the evidence, we cannot rule that out, but I'm saying we're not seeing any at this time to suggest race is a motive. The gunman was armed with magazines, that if all of them were full, would have carried 250 rounds, and they recovered at least 41 shell casings fired by, by this guy. This came 13 hours after this loser in, te in Texas opened fire at a Walmart and killed 21. I'm actually reading this now, and it says 22 people dead. So that brings the death toll total to 31. The El Paso murder suspect's grandparents had recently lived with them in Dallas, and this is just a, a, a digression because it's talking about the same story. 
and said the alleged killer moved out of their home six weeks ago and they're cooperating with authorities. This is in the window where he was uh, planning his his, uh, attack. So not a lot of information known on this kid. He's a white guy. Both of them are white guys. This guy gets his AR-15, goes and starts his rampage, winds up killing his sister. They don't know if it's intentional. They're actually surprised. They're not surprised at all that he killed his own sister. And the police put him down in a minute. It's actually referenced as 30 seconds into the arrival of the first responders on scene. This guy was gunned down and killed. Six minutes on scene in El Paso, 30 seconds on scene with a dead suspect in Dayton, Ohio. One, kudos, and thank you so much to the first responders who put their lives on the line and who arrived. I also heard that the guys who arrived on scene in Dayton, Ohio, had AR-15s. So I work with guys, uh, I work with a good buddy of mine, Phil, in in, uh, Miami, Florida, and he rolls with a team of guys that basically are in an upgraded posture, prepared for these type of of events, whether it's gang-related, criminal-related, or mass shooting-related, they show up on scene with AR-15s. If you're a patrolman and you are inbound and en route to an active shooter and you are getting out of your car with your pistol, you're fucking wrong. Every police officer in the United States of America should be trained, qualified, and be carrying an AR-15 inside their patrol car. When they get the call that they're moving to a mass shooting, an active shooter, they have seconds. This guy killed nine people in 30 seconds. Nine people. If police officers missed him or didn't show up in the 30 seconds that they showed up, there'd be a lot more casualties. Thank God for first responders and law enforcement. Thank God for EMS firefighters, and all the first responders. Thank God. So many people want to talk shit about the police. Who's talking shit when there's an active shooter trying to kill your ass and then you're on on the phone with 911? I posted on my story on my personal at mike.a.glover on Instagram. I'm some arrogant dumbass um, walking around in Walmart as people are getting gunned down He's in, the eye, he's in a couple aisles over. He casually walks out, talks shit about everybody, and then goes to another grocery store. I'm, I'm assuming he did that for the gram. And it's really cool on the gram uh, because he probably got a, a few followers out of it. And we'll talk about what you need to do in these type of situations a little later, but completely asinine. So we don't know a lot about this guy. We do know the police and EMS response. And the fact that they showed up so fast is uh, kudos to their training. But if it wasn't for these men and women who put their asses on the line, then this would be a completely different situation this morning that we'd be talking about. We also know that the death toll, which is up to 31 right now, that in that Walmart in El Paso, Texas, there was one to 3,000 people in the store at the time. I don't know how they get that number. That's a pretty broad number. But that's a lot of people. So he hit it prime time. And I'm assuming he did a reconnaissance and he targeted the opportune time in which to do that. I went to Walmart yesterday. And I was walking around Walmart. 
And I thought to myself, looking at the cashiers, looking at the amount of people that were flowing through, looking at the entrances and exits, that there were no law enforcement, that there were no security guards, there was nothing, how much um, or how easy it would be to target anybody in these stores with a mass amount of people. You ever go to a, a, a Costco on Sunday or on Saturday? I mean, there's, there's like 100,000 people at the Costco in Prescott on uh, any given Saturday. I also was happy to hear that the blood bank in El Paso in the situation, um, the blood bank was up and running. They had several different locations that were assisting. They were actually tapped out in their ability to take any more blood because they couldn't hold it because so many people came in donating blood to help the victims, uh, which this situation was obviously a mass casualty. Here's some things to think about. One, your everyday carry, your everyday carry that you do that you get kitted up with every single morning matters. I did a little post on my story and said, hey, here's a picture of my Solomons. I don't always wear flip-flops. When I was an independent contractor working overseas, I remember working in Yemen, and my team leader telling me, like, hey, man, you can't be walking around in flip-flops. And I, I said, well, what do you mean? Like, we're, we're not really working. And he said, in this environment, you're always working. And you always have to be prepared to run at a full sprint to your weapon um, to help others, and you can't do that in flip-flops. And he was right. He was completely right. Now, am I advocating that... You're not supposed to wear flip-flops. No, I'm not. But your operational environment, which is how I think about things in life, matters. If I'm going out to a country concert with my family, if you are going out to a country concert with your family and you're dragging your kids there, yeah, it would be nice to be in your flip-flops, your Tevas, your board shorts. But how are you going to get your family out of that bad situation if something bad happened? It doesn't have to be a mass shooting. It could be an accident. It could be a storm. It could be a natural disaster. How are you going to be able to take care of your family? And if it's as easy as making a decision like, I'm wearing uh, shoes instead of flip-flops, then it's that easy. Your everyday carry every single morning that you prep your equipment is the first strategy and developing the right mindset, resilience, and response to something bad that happens. One, because it gives you confidence in what, you, what your capabilities are. Every single morning I have this, these Philcraft mats. I don't sell them anymore. I just give them away. But they're basically these mouse pads. They represent a staging area for all my stuff. One, I have TBI, so I forget shit all the time. But two, I want all my stuff centralized so that way there's a routine and a formality for when I get kitted up. I take my gun out of my holster, my Philcraft Survival uh, Appendix Carry Lovis holster. I take my Triart pistol out. I, I drop the mag. I look at the magazine, look how many rounds are inside of it. I insert it. I press check my gun. Yes, press check your gun to make sure there's one in the chamber. I manually ride the slide forward. I insert it inside of the holster, and then I put it inside of my waistband, because I know that it's loaded with one in the chamber. I know I have 17 plus one, 
and everything is good to go. Now I have the confidence that when I reach for that gun, there is no hesitation. Hey, did I, did I put one in the chamber? Did I load this thing up? Has anybody touched my gun since the last time that I've seen it? And so I have confidence when I put that gun in my waistband that I could properly defend myself. I take my tourniquet. I open my tourniquet up and I look at it. I collapse it down on itself and I insert it inside the inside the waistband holster that we that we have and I put it inside my waistband. If I'm doing something where it's the middle of summer and I got a t-shirt on, I'll stick it inside of my Patagonia bag. I got a little fly fishing bag where I carry my stuff. But I want to make sure that I have a routine set in place that gives me the confidence that everything that I have on my person, on myself, is set up for success. It gives you the mindset, the proper mindset to defend life. You know, a lot of the people don't think this way because they think it's laced in paranoia. They go, oh, why, why are you doing that, man? Like, why are you sitting in the back of the room near the exit? Like, are you, you must be paranoid. It's not paranoia. Perception isn't always reality. A lot of people perceive that the habits that you might have that lead to good actions and set yourself up for preparedness and survival, that somehow that's a bad thing. It's, it's like the kids who think getting straight A's is bad. Oh, you got straight A's, right? Oh, well, no, I got, I got some C's too. Oh, okay, then you're cool. What the fuck is that all about? So it's like if, if I prepare, then I'm paranoid, right? Because then I'm, I'm, I'm spliced out of the, the, uh, the demographic and then put in a fringe. And then I'm told like I'm paranoid, Oh, oh he, that's Mike, man. He's a former Green Beret. You know, he's got some issues. You know, he dealt, dealt with war. Everybody says that shit until shit hits the fan. And then you're, you're the one dragging your family off the X. You're the one defending your life on the X. And then everybody else is a fucking victim. Think def- defense. Think defense. When I look at the Walmart, it is a soft target any given day of the week with a large amount of people whom more than likely aren't caring because there's a sticker on the door that says don't carry. The way the parking lot is set up, the avenue of of approach, uh, running right in front of the doors, which means quick entry and exit, the amount of uh, traffic that flows in and out, which is really predictable, the aisles, which are, which are layered in predictability and patterns, it's very easy to exploit that environment. Very easy. You would need a long gun to, to affect a lot of damage in that instance. So then, let's say you're in Walmart, and you're 100 meters away from the bad guy who's standing in an alley in, a, in a, uh, an aisle with an AK-47. Is he an immediate threat? You're damn right he is. At 3,000 feet per second out of that muzzle, he could touch you in milliseconds, fractions of seconds at the speed of sound. And so having your pistol and combating a, a guy running around Walmart with a plan is probably not the best approach. Somebody asked me, they said, hey, in this instance, 
I had my family and I broke off the ex and I wanted to get away, but I feel guilty because I didn't fight and stop the shooter. And I told him, stop, man. Your duty that day was not to defend everybody that was in that store. It was to protect your family and get off the X. If you're not truly confident in your capabilities, there's, a, there's also a window of opportunity, and you're not in that window of opportunity, then the best thing you could do is get your family out of that danger area. And that's what, he, what this guy did. You shouldn't feel guilty for doing that. I hate to say it, but it's not your duty to save lives. It's my duty. As somebody who's a trained soldier, it's my duty. If there was an off-duty officer in that Walmart, if there, was a, if there was a former soldier who was armed, sailor, marine, whatever, airman, whatever, then it's their duty. But as a civilian, it's your duty to protect yourself. First, you need to protect your, your family and yourself, first and foremost. Breaking contact off the X is the tactic that we use in mass uh, and public uh, shootings. Separating yourself with as many obstacles, as much distance, and as much time as you can between you and where the bad guy is located. Unlike that arrogant dumbass who is walking around in the aisles talking to himself on a story on Instagram. So the political response, as, you've, as you currently see right now, it's been many. There is a shit, a metric shit ton of people who are coming out from the media speaking out of their suck holes who have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. There's politicians coming out of the woodwork. Uh, I mean, I have it lined out via this uh, media source. What each politician said, line by line, on the shooting in response to it, and all of it's political. Let's start with some of the, the... Well, let's start with the Democrats because that's where it came from. So... This guy, Beto O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke, this guy came out and he says that he actually was asked by CNN um, if he thought that Trump was a white nationalist, and he said he did. El Paso native, he's a former Texas Republican, or, or sorry, former Texas representative, said President Donald Trump and his rhetoric about minorities has a direct connection with the shooting in the presidential candidate's hometown. I mean, think about that. I mean, this guy just equated what a psychopath murderer did to the President of the United States' rhetoric, saying that his rhetoric about minorities is directly connected to the shooting, basically blaming Trump for it. Jake Tapper on Sunday asked O'Rourke if he thinks Trump is a white nationalist. He said, yes, I do. The things that he said as both a candidate and then as president, this cannot be open for debate. O'Rourke, who has been campaigning in Vegas, canceled his events to fly home. Here's what he tweets. He says, my heart is broken for El Paso, for Dayton, for everyone who is impacted by the 40,000 gun deaths in our country every year. It's on each and every one of us to end this crisis. And together, I still have faith that we will. Here's his problem in his rhetoric. One, he says 40,000 gun deaths in our country every year. 
two thirds of that forty thousand gun deaths. Two thirds. Two thirds of that forty thousand gun deaths is suicide. The other large majority of that is criminal related gang activity related gun deaths. The smallest percentage of all that is obviously the mass shootings. 40,000 gun deaths is a lot of gun deaths. But as I quoted in um as I quoted recently on um uh Instagram about the statistics in Chicago, 5 to 7 people are killed in that city every single weekend. So 40,000 gun deaths would make you make it seem like There's an epidemic of mass shootings that are killing people, and guns are the problem. Well, think about it this way. How many many of those guns that people used in crime-on-crime, gangbangers killing gangbangers, how many of those guns do you think are legally owned guns? Probably not a lot of them, right? Because most of those people are felons. Most of those guys are felons, so they can't buy guns legally. Outside of the mental health crisis that we're facing in our, in our uh, world today, our country is faced with a behavioral health epidemic that you can't even put your, wrap your head around. That's the issue. But he states it like 40,000 gun deaths in our country every year, associating it with a mass shooting, makes everybody who reads that, who supports this guy, Beto O'Rourke, that's that there's an epidemic of mass shootings of white people going out and murdering people all over the United States but that's not what's happening so that's where i do agree with Neil deGrasse Tyson on his analysis of statistics and data which is never to make it seem like the event is not important because when compared to data it's not as large because it is important to note that when a guy walks in and kills people in a public setting by the dozens, that's significant. But it's also uh, important to denote that we're talking about real statistics of gun deaths, and there is not an epidemic of mass shootings that are taking place. It doesn't mean you don't have to worry about it. It doesn't mean that you don't think about it. It doesn't mean you don't prepare for it. But statistically, when you're looking at this, the uh, gun deaths, these guys are throwing it around just to get reaction, to get likes, to get votes. These guys are not incentivized by anything other than their own preservation, their own empowerment. They're politicians. You tell me how Nancy Pelosi is worth $100 million. I was worth like 50 bucks in a ham sandwich operating at the highest level of counterterrorism and special operations. When I left that, I was broke and almost damn near homeless, sleeping on an air mattress in my apartment. But a politician is worth $100 million. She hasn't done anything besides politics her entire life, and she's worth $100 million. So just be careful what politicians say. Julian Castro, and I'm probably hacking that, in in the past 24 hours, he tweets, our nation suffered 29 murders and two mass shootings. We could have protected these victims with common sense gun reform. It's not too late to prevent the next attack. Congress and the president must act now. 
right? Because it's about gun reform. We could have protected these victims with common sense gun reform. How do you predict a human being who's broken hell-bent on violence from getting a weapon of any kind and destroying lives when they're hell-bent on it? How do you prevent that? My, here's, here's what you have to understand about gun control and gun laws. When you enact, when you react via these incidents that happen, when you politically shape and change laws being reactive to something like this happening, you are only impeding legal, law-abiding citizens from owning firearms and defending their own lives. That's the only thing that you're doing. You should take the model of Chicago, for example, as a perfect example of what murderers do in order to get the job done. So I don't have a gun on the streets and I need to kill, kill a bad guy. And I'm a bad guy. What do I do? Well, if I can't get a burner, I go and I try to steal one or try to buy one or talk to somebody who tried to steal one or try to buy one. And then I get a dirty gun. And then I pass that amongst my friends to get the job done. A lot of people say they, they frame these conversations and they go, well, these guns were legally purchased. What difference does that make that the guns were legally purchased? So in the analysis of understanding terrorists, when terrorists want to commit, commit acts of terror, how do we impede it? So we get shot up in an ambush by AK-47s. Do we say we have to go after the AK-47s? Because if we stop the AKs, then we stop the murdering of our troops in the field. Foreign terrorists come into these countries and they plant IEDs. And they blow up our troops. Do we say the IEDs are the problems? We need to stop these terrorist attacks and killing American troops overseas. We need to go after the IEDs. We need to find the IEDs where they are and stop them. No, that's not what we do. We go after the terrorist cells that are responsible for attacking people outside of looking at the specific weapon systems that are used. It doesn't make sense. It just do it doesn't fall in the realm of logic and reason when you start going to reform guns for law-abiding citizens. Any gun reform. Look, this would be a different situation if we're talking about if we're talking about the beginning times of our nation and there wasn't a hundred million guns in circulation which is which is shying on the left side of that it's hundreds of millions of guns in circulation that would be a different story but now the only thing that democrats want to do because they're shocking and awing you with their disinformation and statistics is saying we have to go after common sense gun reform because that's what have pretend, that's what have prevented these murders. He literally says, Julian Castro literally says, we could have protected these victims with common sense gun reform. You know how you could have protected the victims? By arming every single person that was inside that Walmart. By having an armed guard standing or somewhere inside of that Walmart with a gun. That's how you would have protected those innocent people.
going down, you have Joe Biden. Heartbroken to hear the news from El Paso. Our thoughts, our thoughts are with these those impacted by yet another senseless act of gun violence. I love labels, man. Gun violence. Because it's gun violence. So then if people start using other means, like airplanes, like helicopters, like vehicles, then it's helicopter violence. Then we're focused on the helicopter. Then it's car violence. Then we're focused on the car. The problem is fucking people. And so when we start coming back to fucking earth and talking about the reality, then we can start addressing the problem, which is behavioral health, which is psychopath murderers. One of the things I heard Trump say this morning, one of the things that made sense, a lot of it didn't, was when he said, we need to look at these video games that are desensitizing our children and making it okay and even motivating people to enact violence. They're so disassociated from violence. You talk to a kid, he could tell you 10 ways to murder somebody. You punch him in the face and he'll cry like a little girl. Because these children growing up today aren't prepared for the real world. They're living in a fantasy, a virtual world. And they are desensitized. Grossman's talked about it in On Killing and On Combat decades ago. Where these kids were becoming more dissociative the more they played video games, building eye-hand coordination, and were able to replicate a POV perspective and murder people senselessly without understanding the consequence. Another part of the problem, there is no consequence. You could be an internet troll, you could be a loser bully in school, you could do all this shit, and there's no consequence. But we don't want to talk about the real issue. We want to talk about the fact that it's tied to a gun. He continues to say, how many lives must be cut short? How many communities must be torn apart? It's past time we take action and end our gun violence epidemic. You want to talk about fucking gun violence? I just told you two-thirds of 40,000 people, two-thirds of 40,000 people took their own guns, put them in their fucking mouths, and blew their brains out. That's not an epidemic? Suicide, mental health isn't a fucking epidemic? That's an epidemic. Mass shootings are bad, but it's not an epidemic. But again, politicians are trying to sway you on their side because it's about the win. It's not about facts and reality and actually looking at statistics, actually looking at data and analyzing that, coming up with solutions. It's about the rhetoric because the rhetoric sells fucking votes. That's why. Bernie Sanders says Mitch McConnell should bring the Senate back into session immediately to pass H.R. 8, the gun safety bill that has already passed the House. That's a first step addressing our serious gun violence epidemic. I think there is validity in Bernie Sanders' comment because I think there needs to be better ways to legislate who gets a gun, how they get a gun, and then this trade gun show loophole. I mean... I. I just don't want dumbasses going to flea markets everywhere across the U.S. and just buying guns with no uh, accountability. I mean, I don't like that because there's a lot of dumbass people on this planet and I, I see them all the time. I interact with them on, on social media all the time. 
I want to know that the people who are getting guns are going through mechanisms, protocol, like background investigations. Will this deter mass shootings? Fuck no. Will it deter suicides? No, it won't. Will it deter people in the inner cities of Baltimore and Chicago murdering each other? Nope, it won't. It's a different consideration completely. But I think it needs to be there. There needs to be better systems in place. Should we be analyzing and dictating how much ammo a person can buy per time they go to the fucking gun store? No. Fuck no. But should we pass common sense legislation like background investigations and checks? Cross-referencing with mental health issues? Has a doctor ever said this guy's crazy and he could fucking hurt somebody? Well, then we might want to flag him. Those processes and protocols aren't in place now. You come back, you don't have any tickets, you don't have any misdemeanors, you don't have any felonies, you're good to go. Nothing really comprehensive about that. He says, we must come together to reject this dangerous and growing culture of bigotry espoused by Trump and his allies instead of wasting money putting children in cages. We must seriously address the scourge of violence and bigotry and domestic terrorism. Here's Elizabeth Warren. Oh, man. The Native American Elizabeth Warren. We're waking up to the second mass shooting in as many days. I'm heartsick for the 29 people killed this weekend in El Paso and Dayton and all the other lives we lose every day due to senseless gun violence. We need to take urgent action to end the gun violence epidemic. I can give you a 10-step protocol to that. Kamala Harris, last week it was Gilroy, today it's El Paso. How can our country tolerate this? Where were you, Mrs. Harris, where were you last weekend when five children were murdered in Chicago? Where were you? My prayers are yet again with families who are grieving, and my thanks are with the first responders. That is not enough. We must act. Last one, Amy Klubucher. Sorry, I'm hacking these names. I don't, I'm not good with names. My heart breaks for El Paso and those killed and injured by another mass shooting. This can't keep happening. It just can't. Everyday Congress refuses to act and pass gun laws. It's a horrible omission of responsibility. This is tragedy. No, it's tragedy that we're not paying attention to the fucking facts. That's what's tragedy. All right, so one of the things I want you guys to pay attention to is the podcast that we have on active shootings and what to do. We've been asked again, we, at, we get asked often this question about the run-hide fight. You know, the run-hide fight uh, acronym has been used many times um, by the U.S. government and institutions for teaching active shooting protocol. There's a lot more in depth than that. We don't use that acronym. We think that acronym actually sets a bad precedence for bad habits and bad ways of thinking under stressful conditions. And so make sure you give that a listen. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the mid-roll. Raul Martinez in the house. <laughs> what's but going on, Mike? For the second half, we're, he's all in. But I want to do the paid advertisements because we are sponsored now. Our next uh, sponsor is War Dragons. We are sponsored by War Dragons. It's a 3D real-time strategy video game right on your phone. Over 150 different dragons to breed, collect, each with a different attack style, ability, and classes. I'm a video game nerd. I grew up. I'm Asian. That's what we do. But it, right now, for the month of August, if you go to podcast.wardragons.com, 
slash forward slash fieldcraft. Again, that's podcast.wardragons.com forward slash fieldcraft, which I'll include the notes so you can just go to the notes if you don't have a good memory like me. And for the month of August, War Dragons will match all donations made through the link in the game um, up to a maximum of ten grand. And but can't donate but want to support, um, you could breed your own dragons in game and also help contribute an additional ten thousand donated by War Dragons. So if you guys are interested in helping, uh, War Dragons is partnering with Stack Up, an organization dedicated to bringing military personnel, vets, and civilian supporters together through a shared love of video gaming. Sounds like a cool thing to me. Um, also, this podcast is sponsored by My Wall Street. My Wall Street, which is spelled out M-Y-W-A-L-L-S-T. My Wall Street. Look, I, if, you've, if you've ever invested and tried to go into stocks and bonds and figured out uh, how to use brokers and, and build your portfolio, it's very difficult to navigate. It was It's easy to set up a broker... Um, but I had no idea how to build a portfolio of stocks that could make a solid return when I started getting into investments. I've always thought about investing, but I had an idea that I had no idea what stocks to invest in or how to start. And so my Wall Street offers a short list of stocks that experienced investors have spent countless hours researching. That's the difference with my Wall Street. You're also one, you're the one in control. They provided me with a short list of thoroughly researched stocks that they believe has significant growth potential and I decided which ones to invest. They're not a broker, so I felt that I could trust them more. They offer guidance and a simplified investing journey. And that's the key is you want a personal one-on-one capability in developing your portfolio, especially for investments, your hard-earned money. They act as an investing companion guiding you on building a diversified and long-term portfolio. My Wall Street believes everyone should have the ability to shape their own financial future, as well do I. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike a broker, they're an investing companion. My Wall Street helps you take the first steps in the world of investing and guides you towards making educated decisions throughout your investing life. Want to learn more? Well, visit mywallstreet.com forward slash fieldcraft. Again, that's mywallstreet. That's M-Y-W-A-L-L-S-T.com forward slash fieldcraft, one word to download their app now and get access to their market-beating stop picks and expert guidance. Right now, if you use that link, you can get the entire My Wall Street app for free and use it for 30 days instead of the normal seven days. 30 days. So as a benefit of listening to this podcast, you can get this 30-day benefit instead of the seven days. After your trial, you continue your investment journey with them for just nine ninety nine a month. That's my Wall Street, spelled M Y W A L L S T. Back to the podcast. Raul, welcome to part two of this podcast, man. Yeah, it's good to be here, bro. Hey, you know, I did part one and I was running solo. Um, get out the information. Get a lot of uh, you know objective information about like, hey, what happened. Uh, what are the facts of the of the uh, situation? Completely tragic, and you found out this weekend as well as as, as I did, right? Yeah. Uh, what's your first thoughts on on everything that happened? So, I'm usually hesitant to to like get in there and start posting and doing a lot of things about uh, these events, just because I want to learn more and see see what's going on and see what develops. Right? Something always develops later, uh, and that's kind of where like the meat and potatoes of things kind of happen. So I was sitting around just waiting and reading and looking through things. Um, 
but I'm swamped too. I'm not going to lie. I, I I looked at a few things and I was just been training and trying to recover. So, uh, more than anything, I was keeping up with what you were doing, uh, what the company was doing, seeing how, how the, those updates were coming through. So I did see the list for your part one and I'm like, man, you covered a lot of stuff. Um, so that was good. It's good to see that. Uh, but it, I mean, initially, right. Everything is, it sucks. It's this something that is unnecessary and shouldn't happen but apparently it's becoming a thing now. So, yeah. Yeah. When I, when it first, I was notified by a law enforcement officer and he let me know and he sent me some stuff and he's like, Hey man, this is going on. Just want to let you know, this is like an active situation. So I knew it was, there would be development that came out of it. But like you, I never want to be reactive, especially in social media space, because that's where you could look like a real asshole. Um, especially if you come out reactive and saying things uh, that are emotionally foundationally based where you have all this, you know, uh, you have this idea that's your idea and you're making it your own, but it's not based in facts. I think that's the mistake that a lot of politicians made in reacting via tweets because this is how old people um, seem and that our policymakers seem to communicate. And, I knew there was going to be things that came out that were just, um, you know, swaying the conversation in different ways. So I, we just reported the facts. You know, when Phil Kraft, I literally copied the facts as written and then manipulated that to make sure that there was no biases or, you know, influence in that. It was just like, hey, this is what happened. This is what we know now. And then update as we go. And then on my personal page, obviously, I'm, I'm more biased on my personal page. But I did post some some stuff about like people's ideas of politicians coming out and immediately jumping on the gun control bandwagon. You know when you know two major shootings, obviously the the El Paso, Texas, and then the Dayton, Ohio, two separate incidents that weren't related just happened to be in the same proximity of time. Uh, nobody knows right now the Dayton, Ohio shooter what his motivations were. I mean, this dude killed his own sister. Um, nobody even knows if that was intentional. But the reality is the first shooter was a racist that openly stated that he hated Hispanics uh, in our country. I mean, he didn't even use the word hate, but he just has disdain for them in our country. He thinks they're taking over, and that's going to lead to some kind of overtake of the country. Um, you're obviously Hispanic, and... When I see things like this, it scares me because of the perception. Like I, I look at this and I go, immediately right now, people are thinking there's white supremacists in our country, which there are, um, but it's not a systemic problem. You'd also see the situation and go, there's a whole bunch of racists and they're murdering people, which there was. There, this happened to be one of those guys, but it's not systemic. Um, but the way the politicians are spinning it, it seems like something that's fucking out of control. And it's scary for normal people, right? Yeah, it, it freaks people out because they think they're getting wrapped up into this whirlwind of something that isn't really there. Uh, coming from Chicago, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of groups, right? There's the pro-blacks. There's the pro-whites. There's the all-Hispanic clubs. All this shit didn't matter before because at one point we saw it as the advancement of a group within a group. It wasn't like violence against blacks because we're white or hispanics because we're asian it wasn't like that before now you can spin this and it's so controversial nobody wants to touch on it right um 
it's funny. George asked me the other day, he's like, dude, have you ever experienced racism? I was like, I don't know, maybe, but I don't see it that way. If some dude insults my race, I just laugh. I'm like, whatever, dude, that was weak. It wasn't a good enough joke to make me feel anything differently. Uh, so it, it's a good play on the uneducated. So going back to this this dude in, in Texas, right? So he thought Hispanics were taking over or Mexicans more specifically, right? Because it's a border thing. Uh, and it's funny because had he known just a little bit about history, that was all Mexican territory. You know, at one point it was Mexico. And uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's funny to think that the, that the Mexicans are taking over when really it's just it's, – it's, Dumb little things that don't even matter, man. Yeah. The, the the little lines we draw in in borders and in states and in all this other shit that are imaginary that now dudes think are theirs. I don't know what this kid did to think that he had any right to defend the United States from illegal immigrants or whatever his idea was, but he didn't do anything. He didn't own the land. We didn't. It's just, it's dumb. It's dumb to think that people have these ideas that people are taking over when the idea of the country was to fuse all of these races and bring everybody together and grow as as the new country, right? Because it's, I mean, it's funny. We have new, I think it's four or five states, maybe four, uh, New England, New Hampshire, New Mexico, and it represents the old worlds in a new world, mm -hmm. right? And New York is York in, in Europe, right? It's it, yep. New Mexico is Mexico. Once upon a time, it was Mexico, and now it's New Mexico, or, or however you want to see it. But the realities are is this country was was based on the transition from other countries, people from other countries to build this new world. And dudes have lost that. Now everyone's super possessive and they think it's a white thing. Uh, I don't know. People are, are finicky. They're becoming less educated. So much information out there and they're just getting more dumb. That's, that's uh, you know what, that's interesting that you say to that because when you said that about racism, I've always thought the same thing. I mean, we're kind of these races. It's almost like if it's black and white, right? That's what race is. It's you're black or you're white, and racism is only one way in that configuration. So it's like, but there's so much other racism that exists, but it's how you perceive it, and it's how you deal with it or how you manage it. Like, I mean, this dude, this gay, uh, you know, right of center guy who got beat by Antifa, um, he's Asian. He's a Vietnamese. He gets beat down by a whole bunch of white dudes who are Antifa or anti-fascist against the system, and they beat him down. And he thought it was potentially race-provoked. I mean, it, it could be, um, but it's all about perception, right? And yeah. and this guy, he says, it's this wasn't a racist racist act, even though everybody's going to think it's a racist act. And I don't know if it's imperialism, or if it's you know, what, whatever you want to call it and label it, I think it's significant to state that this dude and everything that he thinks is either misperceived or literally false in so many ways. Like you said, I, I mentioned that, you know, Texas used to be Mexico. I mean, we, we literally fought again and again for that land between the Native Americans, New America, and the Mexicans. Um, and on the border of El Paso, if you've been to El Paso, you could throw a rock and hit Mexico. It's, it is on the border. And so the fact that this guy thinks that he's somehow justified by doing this is one of the problems, I think, overall with our society, which is this empowerment um, and, hey, I'm better than you and I'm entitled to something. When we're all Americans, we're all doing our best here and you're not entitled to shit. Yeah, And so... 
what, let's talk about the tactics a little bit because mm-hmm. this dude used an AK-47. He went in, and I read his um, um, some of his manifesto in which he stated that he chose the AK-47 over the AR because of these series of reasons. He went into this Walmart, and he chose it, which I think stands out, because it's a soft target. Mm-hmm. And you know, he looked at the locations and said, hey, if you're going to choose a target, choose a soft target versus a hard target. You don't want police because police, with their numbers, will probably dominate you, and you can't do it, so you have to go to these soft targets. And so I want to, I want to deal with the realities here. Like if, if these guys, you know, they're psychopaths, right? They're, they're people that suffer from mental illness, and they have significant issues, and they pick up a gun, and they go kill people. This dude went after a soft target. What do you think, you know, is in that mindset? And then what are things that people can do to prevent that? Wow. So soft targets are, 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 are legit, right? Like it's enough to know that, all right, cool, this is a spot. And I'm not saying cool, like that was cool, but cool, like put yourself in the, in the position where you're going to go do something and you are – isolating certain locations versus others and you're picking um targets right uh sometimes in order to understand these dudes you got to like put yourself in their shoes which is kind of tricky right because nobody wants to be that nobody wants to look in the mirror and be like oh shit um uh, which is funny i got in trouble in high school (laughs) for writing a story in the perspective of a serial killer which was funny, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> Red flag. A little bit about me, guys. Uh, yeah. Uh, so picking a soft target and what people can do in soft target areas. I mean, if you run away, the bullets run faster than you. Yeah. So don't run away. Uh, I'm not telling you to be a hero and go and like jump on this dude, but if 10 people rush this one guy with a gun from different angles, he can't kill them all. Um, and... 10 people versus 19. Is that the count right now? Or is it higher? It's uh, For El Paso, it's 22 now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What was Ohio? Ohio is nine. Okay. And 26 injured. So, yeah. Again, I'm not telling you to be a hero, but don't be a victim. And and what that is, is there's a lot of angles in those stores. There's a lot of corners. Uh, there's distractions you can do, throwing things over aisles and then just rushing the dude. I didn't watch the video, so I don't know exactly what his tactics were. Uh, but when you come in with a gun and you start laying hate, it's one of those things where the only way to stop them is another dude with a gun or some people with some big cojones that are just going to rush the dude and, and do work. Kind of like that surveillance video that we saw for the store where everybody just ganged up on the dude and beat his ass. Oh, yeah, that was in Phoenix. Yeah. So uh, it, here here's the thing. It's like everywhere really is a soft target. Um, I can't really think of a hard target right now uh, other than a police station so unless you're going to like mount up and go against the whole police station uh what is a hard target right like every grocery store is a soft target food joints um like what places are like armored up maybe a jewelry store but then you're not really looking to hurt them right you're looking to rob uh, something like that that's what i'm saying everything really is a soft target and uh just being aware uh of what's around you in those areas and like who you're with, you know, decisions that, that you need to make. So if you're going to close on this dude, you need to make that decision. Are you with your family? Are you alone? Uh, do you have kids? There's so many variables. Um, so plan ahead. Uh, and I'm not saying be like hyper vigilant about what you do, but have a plan. 
Uh, even if it's funny when you walk in, you're like, all right, cool. This is there. That's there. I'm going to do this if that. And then that's it. Continue on with your day. Nobody's saying be crazy, you know, into the paranoia. Yeah. Yeah, You don't have to be that, right? Yeah. Just make a quick little plan. So you have a reference. We talk about it all the time, even in training. It's like have a file for something possible, um, or probable, uh, more than possible because anything's possible, right? But probabilities are more real. So, yeah. What do you, you know, when, when I look at these type of situations, and I, I see the reaction of politicians going after the guns immediately where they're saying, hey, you know, Amy Klobuchar, always hack her name, uh, Congress refuses to act and pass gun laws as a horrible omission of responsibility. This is a tragedy. So she blames Congress or the government or the president because of a person committing a violent act against other people using a gun. But if it was a car, if it was in the inner city of Chicago, if it wasn't publicly an issue, then they would make it an issue, which is, it, it just seems so telling to me about how these politicians think, whereby it's more about, like if I was one of these politicians, I would be in every inner city telling how I'm going to change um, their situation, their poverty, the crime, the drugs. And that's a solution for fixing a significant problem. But they come out of the woodwork when you see some kind of public act of violence where the, where the people are in shock, where they're like, oh, God. But nobody cares about those you know, 50 black kids that were killed in the inner city over the weekend. Yeah. And so I don't understand you know, what, what is a – like if you, you, know, you dealing with bad guys in the military, dealing with bad guys on the streets – why is why are these people not able to understand that it's not the gun necessarily that's the problem that it's the people that are the the significant uh, variable here because fixing people is hard you yeah know? fixing communities is hard like you mentioned the mm-hmm. whole idea of like you know fixing poverty and fixing violence and educating the, that general area uh, that's hard that takes actual skill and work and resources we're just being like shit guns are bad let's just take guns away and solve the problem you're not going to solve the problem with just taking guns away that's it's ridiculous to even think the it, it's almost embarrassing that our politicians think that way or some of them do yeah when they start saying oh well let's just do something to get rid of the guns it's like come on you're smarter than this. You know that that is not the solution, but you're on a bandwagon that mm. all of your party is on, and now you have to placate to it. So the smarter ones that understand uh, poverty levels create certain types of crimes, but it's it's desperation. It's not desire. Um, criminals, a lot of crime is done by by opportunity, right? So if you don't create the opportunities, there's no, there's no crime uh, in certain areas. Um, so when when they talk like that it's like like i said it's almost embarrassing but it's not that's not the solution it's it goes back again to what you were saying educating the area figuring out a way to take poverty out of some places or or move people into positions where they can pull themselves out of poverty because if you fix poverty by throwing money at it uh, it doesn't really solve the the root problem it just solves like that topical like issue uh, so you have to like educate these people and get them out of that mindset for violence which is more what i saw in chicago what are what are strategic what, like if you're looking at comprehensive plans of how to fix this problem? Is there if, and you had to break it down into a couple of uh, variables? What what are some things that we can do? I mean, I, I looked at gun control, and I agree. Like like gun control doesn't have to control the population of law abiding. Like you don't have to take away their privileges and their rights in order for 
um, you to make a point to in, to impose or you know to to mitigate the risk to innocent people. What you can do is like comprehensive um, background investigations. You could have a mental health protocol for you know, hey, if this guy's a red flag for you know this this guy's this kid's a red flag for uh, mental health because a doctor said he's a threat to society or himself. That's a red flag, and people should know about that. Or there should be some protocol there to when they're buying a gun. But all these things that even we talk about in gun control don't prevent bad people from doing bad things. It's just not the variable that there's nothing that's going to stop this guy from doing what he was going to do. And and it's funny because we're like looking at each other and we're kind of like we're like almost beating ourselves to find a solution, but there's really no way to stop somebody, you know, hell bent on doing something like this. It would have been with a car. It would have been with a gun. It would have been with a knife. It would have been with like acid baths. It would have been anything. He would have done it somehow. Mm-hmm. If there were no guns in the world, this dude would still want to hurt people. He would find ways to do it. Uh, so guns, again, aren't always the the uh, the issue we should be trying to solve. Here's some stuff that I was thinking right now is, you know, instead of digging into this just him or what uh, these individuals like have posted or their little manifestos or whatever, what's going on is like dig into the family. The family knew something. The family knew there was an issue. Brothers and sisters, somebody close to him, friends, all of these people, they should be held accountable. Not not saying prosecute them or go after them um, legally or do anything bad towards them, but they should be held responsible knowing that somebody had an issue, knowing that somebody was dealing with problems, these mental health issues. Uh, it's everyone's responsibility, man, and nobody wants to take uh, nobody wants to take that into account. Nobody wants to be like, hey, my friend's kind of suffering from some shit. I should probably like let somebody know. And it's yeah. not snitching because I'm not going to go and snitch on, uh, let's say, uh, make-believe friend fucking John. Uh, he's having issues. He's talking funny. He's saying weird shit. I'm not just going to like snitch him out. I'm going to talk to him and then I'm going to figure out a way to solve this problem for him with him. Uh, but I'm not, gonna, <laughs> I'm not just going to ignore that. He's saying funny shit. Like I'm going to just load my gun up and go figure it out. Like that's a red flag, man. Like talk to your people. Uh, don't be scared to communicate. I know in this, uh, patriarchal society, it's hard for men to compliment men. It's hard for men to like hug each other. It's hard for dudes to be like, Hey, good job. So we're missing out on, uh, a lot of camaraderie amongst the, the, the male, um, species or fuck whatever. Uh, I'm getting wrapped up in how much I, I think, uh, that patriarchal thing is hurting us versus making us better. Uh, so if your dudes are, su- are are dealing with mental health problems, it's not, it shouldn't be an embarrassing thing. It should be something you, you look to try to help them. So somewhere in that family, somebody knew these dudes had issues and nobody said anything about it. Uh, to track mental health would be funny because how do you track that and then pass that to the FBI and then that one FBI agent that's running background checks is going to find that one little doctor's note? Mm-hmm. Like that's almost impossible to do too. Uh, there's no way other than categorizing people and putting people into databases, which is technically illegal, but it's done anyway. Uh, then it would just be a bunch of databases with your fucking dental records and you 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 freaked out at a car accident one time and that's going to ban you from this because you have road rage or something. Just like it's weird. It's a hard sell. It's a hard way to put people into categories because then it can just be used against you. Yeah, it's interesting. Is uh, he, he said that, I mean, uh, uh, President Trump said that although the pre- this is from a news story, it says although the president specifically called for new restrictions on guns, he did reiterate his support for the red flag laws to keep guns out of the hands of people who appear to pose an imminent threat. Uh, 
but he did not call for stricter background checks, as he suggested in a tweet earlier in the day. So this whole red flag law, I'm interested in this because it does bring about some problems with this misinterpretation. I mean, people are dumb, Yeah. right? Uh, you know, I, I know I almost was in the FBI. I've worked with the FBI my a lot of my military career. I've worked in every with every major federal law enforcement organization, and there are some dummies in every organization. I can't imagine depending on some on a couple people to manage what the difference is, or to be very objective about the protocol for taking away somebody's guns or right mm-hmm. to own a gun. Yep. I mean, I think I actually was talking about it uh, with somebody over the weekend. I was like, you know, I'm a I'm a a combat service disabled veteran, Green Beret, sniper qualified, like been to war a whole bunch, uh, diagnosed with uh, PTSD by cause of TBI. I would be the poster child for somebody that you shouldn't have guns. Yeah. It's like, dude, this dude's a train killer. I mean, this is from the outside. This is, and maybe you could think it's true. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but this, this dude's a train killer. He's capable of killing people. And he's done it his whole military career, and he's definitely suffered from trauma, and now he's a problem, and he's a danger to himself and society. Do we go take his guns? I mean, I I can't even imagine. I don't even want to say out loud what I would do if I knew that people were coming to try to take my guns. It'd be bad. I think it'd just be be embarrassing on the government side to be like, hey, once upon a time, hey, Mike, you were our baddest dude. And we gave you everything. Yeah. But now we're going to take it away. We're going to take everything. Yeah. Take your rights away. That's so stupid. Like, I think it would be embarrassing for the government to go that route. Um, But you're right. It's scary that some random dude somewhere with no field experience, no training, sitting at a desk, looking over some paperwork decides, well, that's it, dude. You're not getting anything. Well, I mean, some of these guys, like this kid from El Paso, Texas, this, this kid had been training and preparing for this for a month. And he said he needed to do it before... The nerves got the best of him, meaning that his nerves wouldn't allow him to do it. Mm-hmm. So this kid's not a dummy. No. I mean, this kid is deliberately analyzing, planning. He probably did a recon of the Walmart. He probably looked at his target. He probably walked through that place a dozen times. He was trying to figure out the best approach to do this. He's from the suburbs. Uh, and then he decides, you know, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, kill these people. What are the indicators? There was probably none. He moved out of his grandparents' house six weeks prior to this going down. There might have been some, but sometimes there's just not, right? I mean, it just depends. Yeah, I don't know if there's any on this guy. Uh, I don't know if he had friends or anybody uh, that would have kind of picked up on these things. But uh, what you said is legit. He's, he sounds like a smart person, and he even, he even sounds like emotionally intelligent because he's like, I'm not going to let my nerves get the best of me. If these are things that he's saying, he understands his emotions, which is hard for a lot of dudes to process. Uh, so yeah, he planned it in a way where he's like, well, it's now or never almost. And yeah, he just did it. There's just, I don't know enough to say, uh, what, you know, if it could have been prevented because I don't know if he had anybody close or friends or anybody that might've known something we don't know yet. Yeah. And that's, that's what needs to be flushed out. Cause the, like you said, man, it's, and it's a great point is there's too many complexities, too many variables to pin anything down. And, and I think the problem and the danger, I think, with diplomats, or not diplomats, but uh, politicians, uh, diplomats too, they suck, uh, but is the fact that these people kind of shape 
our culture and the way that we do things based on the laws that they're creating, but they also shape a lot of the uh, ways we think about things. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming out and they're saying the gun is the issue. And this guy, um, I can't pronounce his name. I never can. But anyways, this dude, this Democrat comes out and he was on the road, uh, supposed to do a debate, comes back because he's from El Paso, and he says 40,000 people die a year from gun violence. And you know he's quoting a statistic, which is an FBI stat. I think it was 2017, which was the the last significant statistic, which was um, that 40,000 people did die from gun violence, but two thirds, 60 plus percent of those were from suicide, mm. and a large number of them were from from crime or, or gun on, gun on gun violence or crime on crime. What is it called? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So gun violence. Gun violence. So when I hear that. I immediately hear it as a talking point, but he's not being honest and truthful. And so, yeah, I get it, it's Twitter. But these people are calling for the gun control and the gun laws because they think that will fix it. So then what happens next? What happens when, because my thing about gun control is if you take somebody's guns, because let's just say you restrict the guns and you make it more difficult for people to get guns and then they could have defended themselves, that's a problem. And when you create more laws, because criminals don't care about your laws, <laughs> they just don't think that yeah. way, right? They, if they was going to commit an act of violence, he didn't check the local law yeah. statutes in order mm. to commit this act of violence. Exactly. Um, so in gun control, I know they're they're starting to do these more comprehensive checks, and we've talked about it in, uh, before with these background checks. What did what did you say was the danger? When you start targeting people, because I know there are databases, right? There are there are things and ways that we compartmentalize and you know funnel people to groups. What are those? What are those databases, and, and how does that affect us? So there, I'm, I've seen it in, in small departments. I've seen it in larger departments, and then I'm sure on a federal level we have we have databases on people, um, and it just it just collects data. But I think it's, there's just so many people and so much data that there's no way to look at it and be like, oh, here we go. We have some issues here. Uh, so though the information may be there and things may be um, present and available, there's nobody to look at that data. So mm-hmm. good and bad, I guess, <laughs> if yeah. you're in a database. Uh, so just know that at some point if you were stopped by a cop uh, or if you were at the border or you flew out of the country, you're in a database somewhere um, and you may just be sitting there or you may be looked at once in a while for something, but it, it, it isn't anything to freak out about, I guess, because that's how they try to sell you on the idea that they're keeping you protected. Uh, so databases are, are just that, man. It's it's a tricky, slippery slope. Um, yeah. Definitely saw that in law enforcement. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, and that's the threat or that's the danger because once you're, grouped and organized, there's a chance of obviously there being um, unfair bias. Um, Absolutely. And that's, or that's targeting, a, right? Yeah. That's a great point. So if you're in some sort of, let's, say, let's take it down to like the local level, right? And we'll use that as an example. If you're in a database on, on a local level and it says, Joe Schmo usually acts like this towards law enforcement. So mm-hmm. now when I get there, I'm not even going to treat you. Or this is the common guy because I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt that day because I could always take my, you know, my zero level to 100 if I need to, but you can't always scale back. So I go at everything 
super cool, super chill, ready to work if I need to. Um, but you take some less experienced officers or officers that are just quick triggered and they see this note. This dude is aggressive towards law enforcement. So they get there and they're already like amped up and like hard and ready to handle this dude differently. You know, you take that on a bigger scale, right? So this dude had mental issues and owns three guns and now you're a federal agent. Now you're like, oh shit, you're looking at this, like got something, you know? So you may see these people or perceive them differently, treat them differently. Um, and it could be an unjust uh, way of dealing with the public. So it's, it's like scary. all preconceived. It is. And it's all perception based. It's who's looking at the information. You take one dude and he'll look at it and be like, all right, I just got to be careful. Or you see another dude and he can, he's going to come out with a taser already in his hand. Or you see another dude who's going to come out with a pistol drawn. It all depends on the level of the person handling that information. So who are we to put certain people in place and, you know, what's their moral compass versus the person that they're dealing with? Everyone's truly just an American in a different role. It's crazy. It's crazy that that takes place now. But if yeah. we talk about massive databases, then that becomes obviously a significant issue. I'm, I always look at I always look at Chicago, Baltimore, uh, uh, even California as a state where obviously these the media doesn't like to report on things that make politicians look bad. Mm -hmm. So if I reported that Baltimore is a shithole, which it is, I mean you have African American women and men who are doing stories saying that Trump was right. When he, when he tweeted that it's a it's a slum right. because there's rats there's poverty if you go to Baltimore which I've been it's a shithole mm -hmm. and the people are sick of it they they want to get out of that situation but the government policies that they promised were going to get them out hasn't done anything for them and so that's every inner city and obviously that's a socioeconomic issue that's a very vast and there's a lot of issues that are intertwined there but when you look at crime and gun control, the news and media doesn't want to report on how many kids are killed in Chicago or the, the gun violence of individuals getting killed in California. I mean, Noah DeGrasse, uh, DeGrasse Tyson, um, you know, who's a known scientist who's uh, really important um, in his own space and genre, was talking about our reaction to the number of people that were killed and how if we look at the data and the actual number of people who are actually dying. And I think you quoted 500 people a, di a day die from uh, the flu. Mm -hmm. That there are more significant issues that are killing more amounts of people. That doesn't negate that or take away from the fact that this active shooting uh, in the, these two active shootings in the 24-hour period was, was significant. But these politicians want to come out of the woodwork when something like this happens, but not when everyday life happens. Yeah. And so I don't get that, man. It's it's almost like if we just don't talk about the reality of the real issues that are going on, and just focus our attention on these, you know, these media driven issues that could stay content saturated online and on TV, then that will just keep us away from these sig real significant issues. You <laughs> dealt with that in Chicago, right? Like, I mean, living in it and then policing it every single day. Like, how does how does the departments deal with that? Um, and the policymakers deal with that amount of crime and that amount of murder in one place. It's just it's just uh, seen as commonplace, and it's just going to be there. Uh, it's not anything that they have a long-term solution for, and it's unfortunate because there's a possibility for long-term solutions. It's just it's too difficult. It takes too long, and nobody's in a, and rightfully so. Nobody's in a position in office long enough to see out a long-term plan. A four-year term isn't enough for one dude to change anything. 
he needs to like pave the way for the next guy or gal and they need to continue with that plan but everyone has their own agenda and it kind of goes what was interesting when you quoted that 500 die of the flu right let's say that was the the stat and then politicians only get up in a tissue when it's gun violence here's the thing a, a human death is a human death right it's yeah. it's terrible um especially when it's untimely but disease and sickness and and all these other things have taken lives um, early and premature and everybody suffers and everybody's, you know, upset by these things, but there's no political move. They're not, let's ban the flu. Let's yeah. make laws against the flu, right? <laughs> yeah. No politician's going to come on and say that because it's idiotic, yeah. you, you know, support medical advancement, support, you know, research and development of new and better, you know, medicine, but instead they'll do something like that and not even talk about it. Or if they do, um, it's on the low level. Why don't they do things like that for educating the public? Um, I don't know. I, I rant a lot about education because if we were smarter, we wouldn't do dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so when it's easy to be like, oh, well, let's let's just focus on the gun because it just happened and it's an uproar and it shouldn't have happened. But nobody gives a shit about, you know, all the kids dying in other countries and in this country even from like hunger or the flu or anything that's that could have been prevented somehow. So all these things may have been prevented, but they weren't. And now we're just in a tissue because this was in our face right now. Yeah, and he, I think he quoted, or maybe I saw it somewhere, they said 70,000 people a year die from drug overdoses. But again, it's just one of those things that's not pop culture popular at the time. Those are illegal, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's bizarre to me how it works. And I did see a huge social media, media reaction from the 2A community and all, all the comments and all the Instagram posts and everything, and it like drove all this media traffic. What is your what is your thinking behind these people who come out of the woodwork and then are are super aggressive with the 2A movement? Because I know there's the far right of this, right? Yeah. Which is this super um, uh, masculine signaling 2A tattoo beard Ugh. wearing. It's just like, fuck, man. Yeah. It's like, I get it. Yeah, I get it, but it's on the aggressive side. It's like on the far right side. What's your opinion on those dudes? It, so you know, I get I get where they're going, and I, I, I and they're proud, and that's good. It's good to be proud of things, and, and you know, you have your little clubs, and you're you're broing out. Um, but again, education, man, like <laughs> to create unity, you can't have division. You mm -hmm. can't separate mm -hmm. yourself now from those guys if you want to live in a United States of America, which you are, like, trying to defend. Like, how did we forget the united part? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. everyone's an American, but w w let's forget the United States. Let's forget the united part. It's funny, man. It's, it's funny that people will separate themselves but want unity. That's not how it works. If you want unity, you need to become a part of everything else you need to learn a little bit about all the things that are are happening and then get in the mix of it if there's it <laughs> man i hate to say it again but it's education if you're this pro 2a dude go and educate the local area that's against the, the 2a stuff create some free seminars the way we do things here um just enough stuff that people can learn a little bit because i guarantee you once you educate somebody on something they didn't know it changes it it makes them want to be a part of it because now they know a little bit about it and so that group should just advocate for doing some seminars, teaching people about um, 
how they live and how they're not criminals and how they have these resources and they can teach other people to use these resources and not be victims. Uh, so instead of coming out and just being like, well, screw them, they're trying to take this stuff away, like unite and show them, educate them, come together. Um, but yeah, people have lost their ways. Yeah, it's interesting about the division thing, man. It's We are so divisive now as a country and it's it's either one way or the highway. There's no communication. I, I actually was surprised at the amount of comments and the traffic that I got on um, my social media page of people actually engaging and conversing about this situation and asking questions. I mean, maybe they know my tolerance for that shit is, is zero. <laughs> like if they, if they come out and start trolling, I'll just delete and block them. Yeah. And, and, but I, I was actually impressed by the amount of people that actually were communicating about these issues. But that's rare. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, we're divided amongst these issues. But what I don't like about the division is, you know, it used to be back in the day, you know, you didn't have the connection via social media. So you knew your neighbors or you didn't, but most people knew their neighbors back in the day. And when you knew your neighbor, you started get talking about politics and they had a different view or perspective. They were still your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You still ate dinner at their house exactly. occasionally and barbecued with them. You still drunk beer. You still talk shit. Mm-hmm. And the priority wasn't division. It wasn't like, oh, you're that way? Okay, we're never going to talk to you again. Now you get people who live in you know high-rise apartment buildings who don't know who anybody is in their apartment building. Yep. There's a thousand people there, and they have no idea who lives right next door on the other side of the wall to them, yep. as opposed to what I noticed in Prescott, where people want to commune. They want to communicate. They want to talk to each other. Like We have a free survival seminar on uh, August 10th uh, here in Prescott, and we get a lot of locals. Yep. And they show up because they want to engage and be like, hey, you know, John owns a ranch and he's got horses, but he's also got fuel silos. So yeah. he's the fuel guy. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we got guns and we have a, a range so we can come over and train. Uh, hey, we got a lot of, you know, real estate for family and we could barbecue. That's community. We're losing that by the hour, it seems, yeah. in this country. It's, it's kind of crazy. And, uh, and you hear it a lot too. Like people talk more in like um, very self-driven tones, right? Like, oh, look at my house, not check out my neighborhood. Where like using little words like that changes how people feel about like uh, where they live. So to me, it's all it's all about the neighborhood and who your neighbor is and how you know them and what you know about them. And it's not and you as the individual, right? If somebody wants to get to know you, it's okay to be private and have privacy. That's you at home and it's just you. But then there's your social um, avenue where you're social with your your friends. And then there's like so there's this like level of how you are in public, right? It's who you are, how you are with certain people, how you are at work, how you are with your friends, um, all of that matters but because of how social media is like laid things out people think that you need to be all in or all out and that's just not how it is like social media is just a platform to post some cool shit it shouldn't be how you live Uh, and i think that's what's kind of screwed a lot of people up Uh, it's all about them it's become this me generation and it used to be about us you're right i think i think the social media thing has definitely screwed our perspective of who we are as people because you know, you're tied into the portal, right? You're tied in and you're intertwined in this fake virtual reality that you're interacting with people and snippets and nothing's very substantial, yeah. nothing's permanent. And then you come out of that and you're just in your own space. Mm-hmm. And I know some people that I know are the most engaging on social media are some of the loneliest motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah. And it's depressing. It is. Like I I remember I used to date this girl and she was, she was like, I have... 
you know, I have thousands of friends, Mike. And I'm like, you mean followers? Yeah. No, I have thousands of friends. Like, those are fucking followers. Those aren't actual friends. Right. The friends, if you put an all call, like, hey, if I, I'm in trouble, I need people to drive to this locate, remote location in the middle of the night, how many people would show up? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's a hot chick, so I'm, I'm sure many dudes, many Random pervers dudes. would come up there. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like those dudes aren't your fucking friends because they like your booty pick. You know what I mean? Like right. friends are friends because, you know, if you're not with them, they're not judging you. Yeah. You come together, it's like you weren't apart. Mm-hmm. They they would fucking drop everything in in a millisecond to come help you because you need help. Not asking the why. Yeah. You know those kind of friend analytics that I that I look to as a friend. Like that's friendship. We don't even know what the fuck we're doing. We're we're navigating a twenty year old problem set of trying to figure out a new way to operate. Mm-hmm. I look at cities and I go, you know, cities architecturally, cities fascinate me, but. I mean, it's it's a evolution architecturally of us setting permanence in a in optimizing our realities in, in urban spaces. So it's kind of, I mean, it's it's kind of romantic when you think about it that yeah. way. But it's also very depressing when you inject technology into that equation. You go, oh shit, man! Now we're now we're closer in proximity, but we're further away than we've ever been. Yeah. And so when you look at these idiots who commit these violent acts they're people who are desperate for attention for real life or they're so disconnected from reality they don't even know who the fuck they are yeah i mean this uh el paso asshole i mean this dude this kid was seemed well off coming from a good home and because of his ideas that he probably got from the internet he made an assumption that the united states is going to be mexico um, sometime in the near future. And so he's fighting for a cause. Dude, I'm curious to see or, or if it even develops um, how much influence his parents had on him because <laughs> parents matter, right? Or people that are raising you matter. People that are around you have a, a, a huge influence into your psyche and how you think and process information. So you already see, let's say you already see that your kid is kind of like an introvert, doesn't do anything. Help him come out of that. Uh, there's nothing healthy about that. And when he grows up and then he's shunned more because he's already socially awkward, it's just going to get worse. Like, you know, parents pick up on these things. And I don't know why I like to look past the individual. Like, I get it. The dude did some bad shit, um, terrible shit. But I want to I want to know more. I want to know into the program. Like, his programming came from those loved ones around him. And that's why I'm always like, well, what were the parents like? Because they had some influence. Um, where did he pick up these ideals? Uh, just the internet? Like, nobody thought to think. Let's say he was just, like, in the house all the time on the computer. Nobody thought that that was a bad idea uh, and wanted him to get out. And that's again, goes back to the whole thing where we've lost our connection with the community. If you are more interactive with people, you're less likely to hurt them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I was 100%. constantly in the public saying hi to everybody, hi over here. And I'll tell you what, in the psyche of bad dudes, they are very similar to that. I met a bunch of dudes that I was really cool with in Chicago, and they would help out if I needed something. I'm like, hey, man, where'd that dude I'm chasing go? And he'd be like, all right, turn the corner. I'd be like, all right, cool. Yeah. Boom, I go get him. It was never like this weird shit where like you create relationships with people, not because you need something or want something, because you're genuine. That's mm-hmm. how we have these communities. That's how we build lifestyles, um, not just like, well, what can I get from that? Uh, and you start doing things like that, then that's just finicky. But even bad dudes, dudes that were career criminals that I knew on the street, 
by treating them with respect and a little bit of just courtesy when they were being good. When they were yeah. being bad, you fuck them up. It's easy. Um, cops don't get that, that that switch. When they're normal dudes, they're normal. When they're fucked up, you fuck them up. That's yeah. just how it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. So treat people as they've presented themselves to you. And you should be able to see through the bullshit, right, if you're doing that kind of job. So those people that you taught, that you treated well when you needed them, they were there. Um, when they were bad guys, they were bad guys. They were running from you, obviously. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So you're, you, you knew what role they were playing. Mm-hmm. But those same dudes would be like, hey, man, be careful tomorrow. We heard some dudes from the other set are going to come over here and do some shit. So now we're like, oh, damn, they're giving us information on shit that would be considered snitching, but it isn't because they're looking out for their community. And because they like you, they're letting you know. Yeah. So I... Yeah, it's weird how the hierarchy and the virtue works amongst even common criminals. I mean, I just saw... A, an article this morning where they the a cellmate of the pedophile uh a career pedophile was drowned in his toilet by this this other dude and it's like that's just sop in those in, in those spaces because it's like you don't fuck with kids and so it's interesting that you know this kid was more than likely isolated from society yeah. he he tried to establish his own ideals by figuring out on his own and so he took rhetoric from different places probably and then made his own presumption um, and and then acted out on it. And, you know, it's it's funny because today I didn't agree with a lot of the stuff that Trump said, with especially with the red flag laws. I think all that's bullshit. But I think when he said about the video games, he's like, we need to restrict or look at this the video games. I mean, 10, 20 years ago, we used to actually talk about that. It was, yeah. a, it was, a, it was a big deal. It's yeah. like... Violent movies and violent video games was a big deal. Now, kids mock um, real-life situations that look like POV perspectives of people getting killed, people getting murdered, because it's on the gram. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could scroll like and talk shit and troll, and, and it just becomes a part of everyday life. Now, when that happens in real life, like this, I don't know if you saw it, but on my story, this African-American dude, this black dude, oh my... Uh, he came in my feed. Oh, no, somebody sent it to me. And I saw the story. And it was this dude walking around the Walmart that the shooting yeah, was taking place. That. And he's just walking in the aisles. He's like, man, these fucking dudes are shooting up this place. And he's just walking. I'm like, and he's filming himself on a story. Mm-hmm. Completely displaced from reality. That that dude could have came around the corner, shot him in the face. And he probably would even cared. Right. Because he's so detached. Yep. And so we don't even know the 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 difference between a virt- virtual world and a fucking real world. And that's fucking scary. Um, I want to ask you this question because this, um, before you have to go pee, Dude, it's so um, I'm going to ask you a question. It says, what's, this is one of the DMs that I got uh, from a guy named Alex. He said, what's the best way to respond to this type of active shooter situation in a large store when you are with a significant other and you're the only one carrying a gun at the time? He said, I'd love to hear your response and I greatly appreciate your time and your company and keep the products from Philcraft. Mobility coming. What do you think? Hey, Alex, give me a second. <laughs> so I'll answer this question for you. So what's the best way to respond to active shooter situation while Raul pees? It's, uh, look, when you're in a large store and you have your significant other, the priority um, in this situation, depending on proximity to the bad guy, could be for you to break contact and save yourself and your significant other. So it's like, it's the kind of the security or defense protocol that we go into um, during protective services or protective uh, details. Let's say I'm, I'm, 
protecting a uh, client and this person is a high value target and somebody comes into the store or the venue and they want to go after this person. Well, I know with a gun, if I offensively close a distance and try to combat this person, I could deal with a threat. But the higher priority is getting the client, or in this case, your significant other, off the X. So it really depends on proximity. If you're in a uh, close enough proximity to the bad guy where it's inevitable that they're going to make contact with you, they're going to see you, they're going to uh, shoot you or harm you, then fighting and closing the distance is is the uh, number one objective. If you're outside of the window, let's say you like peek around an aisle and you hear gunshots and you see a guy walking around, well, then that's that's a, a call you have to make. If I'm close to an exit, my my strategy would be move my significant other off the X, get them somewhere safe, and then go back to combat the shooter. I mean, with my skill sets, with Raul's skill sets, that's what I would do. I would feel guilty doing anything other than that. I mean, you have to be, I posted about it this morning, but you have to be cognizant of your own capability. So many people on the gram think they have greater skill sets in combating threats than they actually have because they could shoot a target fast. They could shoot... Uh, and move and communicate on a flat range. That is not analogous to you being in a stressful situation. You know why I know? Because I've been there. I was the guy who went through years of infantry, rangers, and special forces training, and then got in my gut first gunfight and was lost. And was like literally like, oh man, this isn't working like I thought it was going to work. So that um, development comes with time and experience. And so when you're looking at your first active shooting of confronting a threat, uh, if you haven't trained and if you don't know your skill sets or your capabilities, stay the fuck away. Don't endanger your life or especially the lives of your loved ones by trying to trying to go in there and do something that you don't know you're capable of doing. Some Sometime in some instances, I mean, this is how uh, courage and stupidity is analogous in some ways. <laughs> it's like when you have to, you're going to have to do what you have to do. And it, it's going to be an emotional Sometimes an emotional response where you act and you don't really think. So I hope that works as an answer. Dude, and and that was awesome. I was listening to you while I was going to the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> it was bad. I'm water loading, so I'm like, I have water everywhere in my body. Um, Alex, to answer that one, man, it, it, I'm with Mike on on prioritizing what needs to happen and who you're with. If you're with your family, the priority is to get your family out of the way, Um and then let's say you're alone, and I don't think you would be the only one carrying somewhere. I'm sure there's somewhere somewhere in that building somebody else is carrying, uh, especially in a big place where I, I believe like a 1,000 to 3,000 people were thought to be in the store at the time. Um, so <laughs> think of it like this, and I'll tell you what, from teaching cops um, and running scenarios with cops where they have to like ID a bad guy really quickly, and the dude's got a badge on his belt, but he's got a gun up in the open, and the dude shoots the cop. It happens in training all the time, blue on blue, green on green. It happens because dudes rush uh, to solve a problem that they need to process information on. So let's say you're this good guy, right? You have your family. You put them somewhere safe where you think is safe, and then you're going to go and uh, aggress the bad guy and be a hero. And this is where I, I struggle with IG heroes that, that are like, I wish I was there. Uh, I wish that was me. I'm like, ah, dude, I don't know if you're ready for that emotionally and or physically. Um, and here's why I say that. So you're the dude, you're the good guy, right? 
you come around this corner with your pistol and there's another good guy across the hall or across the aisle and he sees you and he doesn't know because nobody knows who the bad guy is right now because all you hear are gunshots and the dude shoots you. The other good guy shoots another good guy that was there to try to stop the bad guy because not enough information was present. Nobody knows what's happening, right? Uh, so be very careful with the idea that you're going to come down aisles with your gun out. Um, if you do, draw it, uh, draw it, have it ready, covered somehow so that, one, it's not telegraphed to the, to the bad guy or other people who may perceive you as the bad guy. Uh, and then... If you do end up using your firearm to defend yourself or the people in that store or anywhere, put the fucking gun away when you're done. Don't stand there with your gun out with a dude laying on the ground because you can be seen as the bad guy, especially when law enforcement's involved and people are coming in. So if you happen to be in a situation where you shoot somebody in defense of yourself or others, put your gun away and you know get your information out and tell them who you are try to get a hold of somebody that's on the way but nobody's going to know because everybody's rushing there they've tuned everything out all the cops rushing to the scene have tuned out a lot of information all they know is there's a shooter and we're going so be very careful with having your guns out in aisles trying to defend things because other good guys might shoot you um and cops might shoot you shit they don't know 100 percent, 100 percent. um also uh got a question for you uh raul this guy goes, I'm from El Paso. My little bro and his wife were there just before it happened. They got a random argument and decided to leave the store. Thank God for arguments. Mm -hmm. um, but as for this guy, which is the guy that I posted, this black dude who was on my Instagram, who was running around the uh, aisles, he says, why is the run, hide, fight uh, mentality not there? And he's quoting the institutional run, hide, fight that the government uses for the protocol. Mm -hmm. I feel like social media has degraded people's survival mentality because they feel the need to record everything. He's lucky the shooter didn't see him wandering around and talking to himself while everyone else was hiding under shelves. It's sick. I've seen videos where people have literally taken the time to set up their cell phones to record themselves, pulling others from burning vehicles. I feel like it's shock. Uh, I feel like it's shock, but it's more than that when they gravitate towards their cell phones in the face of danger. What's your, dude, I've seen that too, man. And it's, yeah. dude, I would never, I mean, it would be epic content, <laughs> but yeah, right. I would never think that that would ever be a priority. And so when I see dudes like this doing this, right, he's doing it for attention. And then it, I've, I've actually seen uh, a horrible video. They, these girls got in an accident, and this sister of this girl, who was a, a casualty, who had a head tra had head trauma, he was she was recording her own sister on a live feed, Fuck. saying my my sister just got an accident. Look at her head. Look at her head, and recording videos, Jeez. a video of her head split open and her brains pouring out of her head. Oh, she was dead. Yeah. It's like you just recorded your sister dead. Instead of helping her, you're recording her for live for people to see. That's that disconnect. It's that disconnect. Mm -hmm. what, so what's your opinion on, on these on this whole like thing that's happening to our society? So that that idea that we have we've disconnected from being uh, I don't I don't know if moral is the right word. Um, that the connection that we have right to one another it's it's so distant now that somebody can do something like that, like the sister recording the sister with the, the head split, and or this dude just walking down the aisle like, whatever, man, check it out, I'm walking, and this is happening. But th the idea that people can become desensitized is legit. Um, 
that's why there's career criminals because they could just keep doing it no matter the punishment no matter what happens to them uh they've become desensitized to whatever it is that they're they're doing now that may be um, morally or legally wrong to others uh to them it's just another day so I'm, I'm not sure where that dude um, comes from in the community, but he seemed very chill and lax with the idea. So I'm sure he's surrounded by some sort of violence that is normal to him. So to him, it was just another day and something was happening in another area. Yeah, he's like he was talking about like he wish he had his gun. Like, I wish I had my gun right now and I'm, I'm walking around. It's like, dude, and, I, you know, I've seen that that disconnect and disassociation from team guys. I've been in gunfights. I mean, dangerous gunfights with Americans, special operations guys, because we have the darkness standing in the open, thinking it's cool, or laughing because we're throwing grenades and we're in a gunfight. Like, this is awesome. It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But but there's a time and place, and this is not the time nor place, and be switched on. Be professional enough to be engaged in the moment instead of thinking about you know, how you're perceived or looked at, yeah. and you want to be the cool guy. And I hate that shit, man. I hate the way that people think that way because that's an easy way and a, and a quick way to find yourself killed or, or uh, severely injured or hurting somebody else, Yeah, uh, which is even more more uh, tragic to me. I mean, you nailed it with the word professional, you know? Uh, cops do it too. They use words like, oh, these fucking animals or these shitheads. And I'm like, bro, you can't lump people in together like yeah. that. That's not how this works. Uh, These fucking savages. Yeah. Like, yeah let's like, gr- why are you grouping our own man, people? It's like there needs to be a level of separation and understanding of your professionalism. Uh, and again, those are the dudes that have created divides for themselves. They are now better than these people that they serve in the community. Like, bro, come on. Snap out of that whole thing. You can get more out of being a part of the community than thinking that you're separate from them. Yeah, it's not this us versus them mentality. I mean, that's that's a, a dangerous thing. Um, I think that's all I got, man. You got anything else? I don't. Any other cool questions? Or that was that? already an hour. Really? Yeah, that was an hour. This is going to be like a two-plus-hour podcast, <laughs> which is good. Which is good. That's always good yeah. for, for, for us, for the content. Uh, but no, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, So your fight. Just tell us tell us about the fight. Oh, so we're days away now. We're four days out, so not counting the day. So the fight is Friday. Uh, World Fighting Federation is the organization that's putting on the fights up here in Prescott Valley. And, uh, yeah, I think the card came out. We're the first fight. So it's us and then the other guys on the team, Kevin and Danny, are, are the main event and the co-main event, and Kevin's fighting for the title. So we've been training, um, and now it's diet slash. I mean, we don't we didn't stop training. I know a lot of camps like, hey, take it easy. We just train, man, every day again so that when it's fight day, it's just another day. Is that your protocol leading up to this this fight? Yeah, for me it is. Like I'm just going to treat it like another, you know, another day uh, instead of like, you know, doing weird shit that some camps do. Um, I've been fortunate, man. I was lucky. I kind of had the the input to kind of guide my own camp with the guys, and then input from from Chad and Darren and Dan and even Jim Miller, man. Congrats, Jim, on that win. Yeah, that was congrats, awesome. Jim. Uh, input from those dudes, and they're just like. Just have fun with it. Do it. And, uh, yeah, we've been lucky. So, yeah, uh, August 9th, it's going to be the first Fieldcraft <laughs> MMA fight. <laughs> it's going to be awesome, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Paula, we'll have Paul in the house uh, doing some video. Yep. Uh, we'll also try to live stream it on the, the, the Fieldcraft Tri page. Actually, I'll have George do a event, and we'll try to get it up live. Are we allowed to have our cell phones in there? Yeah. 
So yeah, we'll get it up live, man. That's gonna be sick. I can't wait. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I'm so stoked. <laughs> um, cool. You guys can check out Raul. What's your what's your handles? So on Instagram, it's Raul Martinez Junior. And then Facebook, same thing. Awesome, man. And mine's uh, Mike.Ed.Glover, and you can find all Phil Craft Survival at Phil Craft Survival, everything. Just Google Phil Craft Survival when you find it. Uh, we also have the Modern Mindset 365 podcast on Mindset. You can check that out on iTunes, Luminary, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Uh, but, yeah, appreciate you guys tuning in, man. And uh, if you guys want anything, swag, uh, Phil Craft gear, apparel, but also equipment. We got med kits. We have uh, – you know, holsters, a whole bunch of stuff for your everyday carry. You can check it out at philcraftsurvival.com. I appreciate you guys tuning into this podcast for another tactical review podcast. Until next time, stay alert, stay alive. Yeah, we did that right this time. Yep. <laughs>